Greetings, friends! This episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Usual Wines. Griffey, are you a fine wine drinker? I mean, absolutely. Everyone who listens to this show uh, is aware of uh, my love of a fine vintage and, uh, you know, getting loose so I can throw some movie conspiracies. I, I legitimately did not expect you to answer that way, so I'm completely thrown now. Well, there you go. This usual, ad is, usual I don't know what wines, Yeah, Usual Wines probably has a very taut algorithm. I'm like, who's a bad mofo uh, who loves movies and drinking copious wa- amounts of wine? And they're like, boop, 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 boop. That guy, Griff, film alchemist. <laughs> and here we find uh, ourselves. <laughs> yeah, Usual Wines. It's a uh, wine company for the modern drinker, whatever that means. That's me. I'm like, I'm like That's, a Terminator, right? So it's, their it's algorithm, Griffey. yeah, their algorithm is Skynet, and they're like, Griffey, we need him. <laughs> and I appear butt naked with little bottles in my hand, and I just terminate <laughs> alcoholic beverages. That's what I do. That is what the modern drinker is. It's me butt naked, hammering delicious vintages from uh, Usual God. Wines. God, I hope they listen to this, uh, guys. If you like, <laughs> if you like wine, these. This company is definitely for you. Uh, each bottle is a six and a half ounce pour, which is uh, like a glass and a half, which is perfect if you don't want to waste a whole bottle. Um, it's low carb, but then most importantly for my friend Griff here, zero grams of sugar according to their website. Yeah, the the end of my Terminator movie is not me going into lava, but like a stack of sugar. I'm just like, no, and I'm melting. Yeah, I, I love the idea of low sugar. I love the idea of the individual bottle. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to like keep corking it, you know. Then you have like that third at the bottom that's left. It never tastes good the next day. Exactly. Also, exactly. with smaller bottles, you can try various different uh, flavors. You don't want to yeah. commit to a whole bottle. You're like, I want to have one and then switch on to a new flavor. I love that. They have three, I think, in circulation right now. One's a red blend. The other was a rosé, and then there's a sparkling white wine called a brut, which I'm actually enjoying right now during this recording. Uh, in this cool like mad scientist beaker they're keeping it in i, I like it a lot it's a it's a go. fun it's it's fun to check it out but yeah uh, my wife and i uh drank it while we were watching the movie and uh actually made the movie more enjoyable which isn't to say it wasn't enjoyable already but man once you got liquor in you yeah good, so you get a news. cool little bunsen uh beaker bottle of booze afterwards you can make invisible man potion <laughs> You can sit down with your friends and watch The Princess Bride, and when they say, you are the Brute Squad, you just hammer your whole case of Brutes <laughs> using the code FILM as you check out, so you'll get a discount for being our listeners. And when yes. you, you hammer the whole thing, when they tell Andre, you are the Brute Squad, you drink all your Brutes, you get back on Usual Wine's website, and you order a whole gang more using Indeed. the code FILM. What's the website, Alec? What's the official website? If you go website? to... Uh... You go to www.usualwines.com. With your order, you put the discount code FILM in, Mm -hmm. and you'll get $8 off your first order, and you get a free free glass on them. And when you drink your free glass for being a Film Alchemist listener, you picture me running up to Bill Paxton naked (laughs) with wines. Now I know they're going to sell this. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, let's get to the pod.
Greetings! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my young, beautiful, ponytailed, cute dress and well-mannered, but will fight you over a penmanship medal and co-host. Alex Dandino. It's true. Obviously. It's true. It's how I've always known you. All right, guys, if you're here, we hope you are enjoying yourself as always. If that's the case, we'd like to ask you a favor. Please take a second, leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this podcast, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That does help the show out enormously. For those of you that have been doing it, thank you. We've seen a lot of new listeners coming in lately. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us. That one extra step will help us out a lot. Um, In the vein of finding new listeners and growing this beast, uh, we're on all the social media you're on. Uh, get at us, share us, shout outs. Uh, talk to us, man. We're there. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your ideas for movies you'd like to hear us cover. New, old, a whole month worth, a theme, a double feature, guest host, anything like that, you can let us know. Filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can also watch our faces make our voices. On our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. That's plural, with an S at the end. We don't just have the podcast here, this and the Longbox Sessions. We have some other stuff that we've been uh, boiling up, cooking up in our cauldron of greatness. Uh, Hopefully, we will be a fully-fledged operation here before you know it. Uh, So, always working on new stuff. Lots of good stuff there. Go find it and subscribe. Thank you. All right, enough business. New month, new theme. This month's theme, The Pod's Evil Spawn. Yes. Uh, these are all films that feature devilish bastard children. Um, evil little murdering cutie pies. So, <laughs> in that vein, we're covering this month, The Bad Seed, The Good Son, Village of the Damned, and Orphan. The one that I cannot wait. Actually, shouts out to my friend. Uh, my good friend, uh, Dave Cogashaw, who I used to play softball with, he is actually writing a prequel to Orphan, which is probably on my most anticipated films list <laughs> ever. Shout so, out for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. He is the best, and you know we'll be here. Hopefully, he'll come on and talk about it. If well, we'll that'd be awesome. Uh, Alex. Yes. Why Evil Children this month, and why particularly did you want to do this for tonight's film specifically, The Bad Seed. I'll answer the first one. I'll answer the last question first. Uh, the Bad Seed is, for me, like the original Evil Child movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's the blueprint for a lot of things, but it's also this, like, sort of charming 1956 version of, oh, look at all these rich whites and dealing with, like, their problems of, like, <laughs> totally, like, spoiling the shit out of their children. No wonder they have no conscience. Like... There's a lot of like really fun. I mean, I just like watching the movie because for nostalgia purposes, it's interesting to watch movies about <laughs> this these kinds of subjects, like particularly taboo stuff like psychology and particularly uh, stuff with children because like when we saw Psycho, back then they really had to explain stuff to you. And I think more importantly in The Bad Seed than Psycho, you really have to explain to someone why the fucking child in this movie is evil. It's really fascinating to me because not only is it an interesting thing, like interesting fodder for a movie, but this is directly um, adapted from a play that won like Tony's 
um, yes. specifically Nancy Kelly, who plays Christine Penmark, the mother. Um, this is adapted from a play, and it's oddly just like staged that way, which is really fascinating because that shouldn't work at all. And like we've mm-hmm. talked about that on this show, where like movies should not be plays. Like if a play is a play, it should stay a play. It's hard to adapt plays into movies sometimes, and it doesn't really work a lot. But yeah. This one works for me for some reason, even though it's like so clearly still a set, uh, a set as a stage. And then the reason the pods will spawn, shout out to actually my mother, Donna Dandino, who asked me specifically, when are you guys going to talk about the bad seed? And I'm like, ooh. The double D wanted the bad seed? This is, I have a really specific, <laughs> I have a really specific memory of seeing this movie for the first time. I was homesick. For, <laughs> I was in fifth grade. I was homesick from school. And uh, my parents had, like, the big bed. So, like, when I was sick, I was allowed to just, like, lay in bed all day, which was great. So they had a TV in their room, and it was Turner Turner Classic Movies, and The Bad Seed was playing. And I was just engrossed. And the ending of this movie occurs. And I'm not going to say what it is yet. (laughs) I've never belly laughed so hard in my entire life. And I was just floored by how funny it seemed. Because it just happens and that's the end of the fucking movie. <laughs> and I just died laughing. And my mom was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I am. It's just so funny. So there is like a little bit of nostalgia for me personally. Like it has, has, right. it has a happy You know what's classic to too is that I actually equate almost every movie on this list with my mother as well. Because <laughs> I remember watching The Good Son with my mom and her just being like floored by it. Right. Because that w- I was young enough to still be like, wait, we can commit murders? Like, I was a kid, so <laughs> yeah, I was right, like, right, totally. I can fucking do murders? Like, that's cool. Like, I can do crimes? But she was just like, oh, my God. You know, it's like in that great, like, 90s thriller era where you just had, like, unbelievable thriller yeah. after thriller after thriller. Um, so I equate this. My mom actually has an evil child movie that she fucking loves so much. It's a made-for-TV. She talked about it so much, I bought the DVD. So I think I might add as a bonus episode, I'll have her come over and we'll talk about it. You can't please. find it anywhere. You have to buy it. Can we but it's this movie called ta- Bad Ronald about this like nerdy teen. He's like an Arnie from uh, Christine, Perfect. right? But he commits a crime, if I remember right. He sneaks into his house and his mom's like, I'll cover for you. And they have this weird like panic room thing. So he just keeps living in there. Uh, as his mom dies and has a heart attack and a new family comes in and he's like walking around watching showers and... He's like, oh, he looks like Pigpen, but covered in poop. Anyways, that's a different pod. But maybe I'll get old Zayna Griff on to talk about Bad Ronald, right? My mom is a movie-loving obsessive, so that would be really fun. Um, I'm going to get back to a point you made now that I've derailed us. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> With all this mommy talk. It's all but mommy our mommy's made us love the movie, so I don't. Yeah, my, my mommy is directly responsible for how much I love movies. So I'm not I'm not upset about that. But I'm going to get back to a point you made, which is it's kind of a thing that we see now with a lot of indie films. Everyone's trying to find out how to make their uh, movie no budget, you know, maybe like a small Kickstarter, something like that, anything to help you out, right? So a lot of what I've seen when I was still a screenplay analyst and this and that, you see people writing essentially small one or two locations. They call them contained, right? Small, small plays, right? A lot of people talking. Uh, you know, a couple sets, see if you can just get something on film. Right. And it's just not very filmic, right? Or cinematic, whatever phrase you like to apply to that. I kind of think that's bullshit normally. But there is this truism to it, which is 
in a play because of your interaction with live audience, right? You can talk a lot more and you're just pouring out all this emotions. It's a little bigger at times. Right. And it's, it just doesn't always work on the screen, right? It's not what, how we're trying to process and take in information visually. The, and this one is probably one of the most staccato and kind of clamped down plays on film that I've seen. What is awesome about it, though, and this is kind of one of those serendipitous movie things that happens. It actually works in the context of this family in this apartment, because this movie is a lot about, oh, not us. We're we're wealthy. We're doing very good. My husband is high in the military. I am of high breeding. Right. And as we, you know, the daughter's like this almost perfect kid, but I would argue that she's bad at her job because if I met that kid, I would be, what a little butthole. Yeah, I would just hate this sure. kid immediately. I don't, I like kids. You can see a little of the rough edges. If the mom says it really great in that one quote, right? She has a maturity that is disturbing in children, yeah, yeah. which is a great fucking line, right? Perfect. But this whole thing is so saccharine and bullshit. We start on this long open of, you know, the dad leaving and it's just all these extra hugs and kisses and your daughter's great. And what would you give me for a basket of kisses? Well, I'd give you a basket of hugs. And they, they hug it out and it's like, ugh. I don't get loving family. I get like, you know, oh, we're about to eat the neighbor's cat in like a satanic ritual. Like, I don't trust those people, right? right. And so in this world where everything is so false and put on airs, the kind of stage playness of it puts them on a platter for us, the viewer, where they don't blend into the backgrounds. The sets don't matter. The locations don't matter. It's just them right in front of us as we watch all of these kind of crafted lies fall apart. Yeah. And it works in the film's favor more often than not. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of the benefit of the movie itself is that it everything. Yeah. Like everybody is. <laughs> It's kind of weird because like Nancy Kelly, who plays uh, the mother, she gets knocked a lot for being um, she gets knocked a lot for being like overly dramatic, like overly like her, like she, her, like all of her. She uses a lot of like stage presence for like she kind of chooses scenery a little bit. And so well, there, and so there's forth. a weird one where I'm like, that's a stage actor and not a film actor is when she's talking to her father and yeah. she does the. Oh, daddy, I love you. But it's this real arm length, elbows locked. You're like, that's not how loving kids and parents talk, even at an older age. Like, that's not me and my mom. You know, it's like a hug. Like, oh, I'm so glad you don't hold them yeah. at a distance. But I'm like, you can imagine that looks good on stage. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> but it adds to this because they come to find out have this whole duplicitous relation. So that's what I mean, though. Right. Like all that works for me. Yeah, I mean that is the kind of like benefit of the movie itself is it does it does such a good job like stating that it's going to be a little over like that opening scene which yeah is like kind of nauseatingly saccharine. You're just like oh, yeah. you're like Jesus Christ, man. Like also yeah, like the father is I it's I've it, it's like the worst father of all time in a movie. Like it, I mean it's like How dare you? I mean it's up there with like uh up there with who's the other dad that we said was like the worst dad oh from the lodge it's like up there with like richard armitage in the lodge that fucking guy like yeah i wouldn't say this guy is at least not there <laughs> right so but that that's makes a, him better but he literally <laughs> it's only like at the very end when he like hugs rhoda for the last time he goes oh you are a little piece of shit jesus christ like there's like this level of just uh, 
all right, this guy's no, he never just, gets what, it. Busy? That's the big problem with that character is he comes back. He's supposed to be this high-ranking military, maybe intelligence officer, and he can't suss out that his daughter's lying? Yeah, there's a lot of... But, see, and that's, like, the thing I like about this, and I think that's the thing that works for the stage plainness of it, is that the aloofness of everyone, because they're kind of overacting, plays really well. So, of course, they're not going to notice it because they're, like, noticeably glib towards everything else in the world. And quite frankly, yeah. like... Everybody except for Leroy is such a fucking liar the entire movie. But Le even Leroy's a liar. Oh, but hell no. It, they, Leroy's like, the best character in the movie, Because they're all fancy pantses, right? Like, yeah. they're all like, oh, look at me. I'm an amateur psychologist. Oh, you do that. Oh. You know, like, literally, like, Classic white privilege. Bullshit. Everybody is a yeah. piece of shit in this movie. <laughs> Everyone is just hamming it up to be great. Right. There are maybe three characters we ever see their true face. Right. And it is the best scenes are Leroy and uh, Rhoda. Yeah. Because they're but like, Rhoda turns into like a, a longshoreman. Ah, what do you want, Leroy? Oh, I'm best. playing tea. You know, get the fuck. I'm playing tea party. Get the that. fuck out of here, Leroy. I'm playing tea party. Get back to your moa, you salty bitch. Yeah. You know, she's just like talking like she's the ventriloquist dummy from Batman the Animated Series Scarface. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. And he's just like, oh, they think I'm dumb, but I'm on to you because I'm also mean. I'm also mean. Yeah, that. that also, see, that, he that really is scene. dumb because he never figures out any of it, sadly enough. Uh, but those <laughs> scenes between those two are really fun because they're also always happening in this shady garden area where the ladies can just keep their windows closed and not realize. It's one of those funny well, things, too. This is also like a movie of its time where I was watching it with Amy and she was just like, so like that guy can just walk into your house. Yeah. Because she saw him and, you know, great casting and costuming and acting. She's immediately like, gross. <laughs> you know, like, right. Exactly. If that guy came in this house you're, and you weren't home, to, kind of. I would be trying to murder him. 100%. And I was like, if he came in the house and I was home, I would try to murder him for entering our home. Yeah. This was just a different time because he's of the servant class. He doesn't matter. He right. can't possibly I mean, I think that's a really, a it's a really important thing about this movie is about the story in general is the aloofness of the aristocratic people in this movie. Like miss like Monica, who's the landlady who might be the most, the worst person ever. Like, honestly, like worse like than Angela Lansbury and murder. She wrote, if she just never wrote about murders and just was like a judgmental, ass. just sat, walked around judging and pontificating nonstop. Like that is Monica. And like, she's the worst character in this movie. She's worse than Rhoda. And then, yeah, Christine is aloof because she's this, like, kept woman. She's rich. She doesn't give a shit about anything, and she's kind of a daddy's girl, and that's her life. But then you go a little bit further down, and you meet, like, uh, the Daigles once uh, once uh, the whole – once the – like, the The, the third honest character, Mrs. Daigle. Mrs. Daigle, who's great. Like, again, like, the impetus of the movie moving – of the plot moving forward, which – because, again – yeah, the beginning is you're just like, holy shit, is this the fucking movie? Like, I cannot watch people just hug each other for an hour and a half. But then you get the impetus. And for one, I, I got to be honest, this is like a great time capsule of, oh, yeah, in a small town, someone's got some like CB radio in their house. Like, yes, today, uh, down in town square. Well, God, like, so literally there's like a news report that some kid drowned. And Christine is freaked out thinking it's her. It's Rhoda. And finally, they say, oh, it's this little boy, Claude Daigle. And, like, again, there's this whole thing with, like, the penmanship award that she didn't get, that Claude got, and all this other shit. It's, it's That a is 
That's the first slip of that's, the mask, that's right? The, yeah, so we see totally. Rhoda, who is this idyllic little perfect girl. She's getting gifts. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, if only you didn't suck and lose that award. She's like, it's mine. Shut up, it's mine. Doing, you know, like, da -da 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 -da. Yeah. She starts doing, like, you know, Slayer lyrics and shit. You're like, oh, man, there's something going on here. Right. Uh, little did we fucking know. Like, that took a hard turn. Uh <laughs> But what I like about it, too, because that scene in particular you were discussing is a really interesting one. And it's kind of the, the case study for why this being a play works. Because that whole scene, you're like, it's just four douches. Yeah. Douching it Really up, douching you know, it Pretending up. Like, to like, really oh, yes, I'm a writer here. Oh, we'll go look for fish if it's blue water. Ah, they're just saying all this shit that no one cares about. You're like, I'm here to see the murder kid. <laughs> Why is this two hours and ten minutes long? Why are you dragging? Right. <laughs> but then when you hear that radio cut in, it is as if any bad news is coming from another world, right? Yeah. So it adds a layer of this kind of protected, cloistered unreality to that apartment yeah. that then makes the overly dramatic finale really fucking slam home to me. Totally. Right? Because another example is like you hear the bad news there. Or when uh, Mrs. Daigle comes in, right? It's as if uh, what a performance, who these, man. Who are these less thans bringing bad things into my apartment? Right. Well, and, I, and it's so because her because that scene with Mrs. Daigle, both of her scenes, but the first one in particular, it ends up just being this brutally effective. Oh, it's horrible, man. Moment in the movie because it's it's probably the first time we've seen anyone be honest. Because even the teacher's a fucking liar in this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, this the, is the first true honesty, and it's because I've lost the only thing that keeps me back. She's like, yeah, I'm fucked up. I don't care. Right. I came here because I want fucking answers. Well, I think and we what, don't even have the sense that she thinks there's foul play yet. Right. Well, I think what's interesting is the succession of the scene starts with Miss Fern, the teacher, coming in and being like, hey, yes. yeah, so this is what happened. And, like, slowly but surely, like, unraveling, like – she can't really tell the truth. Like Miss Fern wants to tell yeah, the truth. Yeah, never she tells it. But she never and really it's tells. Just like, it. don't come back. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't tell the truth. Like she won't say, yeah, we all think Rhoda did it. But she basically was saying we all think Rhoda did it without. And yeah. Again, yeah, she's like, yeah, I don't think Rhoda should come back to school because we all think she's a fucking murderer. And then Mrs. Daigle shows up and finally, like, not just throws down, like, hey. There's something funny about this. Like something about this doesn't sit right with me. Like I've clasped that boy's pen on. Like I know, I know how to put. Like I don't. Not only that though, she finally addresses like honestly the elephant in the room from the jump of the movie, which is that. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You're all very, very, very rich and very cool over here. Me, I work at a beauty salon and I'm you know step you know I'm stepped on by all you whites. But then like she literally like calls out Miss like Miss Fern gets her hair dyed like some stupid bitch, like. It's like this succession of let's be honest. And finally she like the one that always gets me, honestly, besides like her, like describing her little boy, which now that I have a kid is like really kind of a lot rougher mm -hmm. than it used to be. But the one that always gets me is when uh, Christine puts her arm around her and she's like, why are you hugging on me? What, yeah. what are you doing? Like, it's like, don't try to shush me just because I'm not of this upper crust aristocratic class. Yeah. Don't shush me. I have things to say, and I have shit to say, and yeah. I know you know some shit. It's See, interesting. I, I wonder, too, because her first kind of, you know, run at the apartment reeks to me of she doesn't know that anything went on. Like, maybe she heard, why was that girl down there? She's just here to stir it up. Because she's like, there were two kids on that 
doc and of course it's my kid and not the fucking rich kid right and so she's like i came here to fuck your day up right because these little apartments of rich people i guess yeah like this is your barrier from real world shit right i'm cramming this in your fucking face fuck you and you're gonna hear what i have to say because you know there should be rain on you too. You guys shouldn't be able to walk between raindrops. I also in the moment that I love because it her husband's sitting there all buttoned up like that's the Monopoly my thing, man. man. The fucking mud she's flap like, of a bitch, husband just sitting there like one of you. Come on, Hortense, we have to go home. It's yeah, like, dude, don't don't shush this woman. She's telling yeah. these whites what's what. Quiet, mouse dick. I got more booze <laughs> to drink and shit to say. This shit, like, I'm gonna sleep on your couch. Fuck you. That's the but best. The line part. I really like is when they're leaving and he says, "I'm sorry." Oh, uh, like that lady has you know been the victim this lady just lost a kid mm-hmm. but he's apologizing to them that their grief has spilled onto their you know Love lily it. fucking white apartment and she just goes what she's like I, we don't care what they think yeah and she walks out and i was like that is such a fucking cool moment it's awesome i mean right because then we cut back and it is again this oh oh my gosh wow i can't believe i had to uh, deal with that and within 30 seconds we find the fucking trophy yeah that she fucking took the medal she did and it's like oh you little bitch i mean it's 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 a really cool sequence but that scene right if that movie existed today i don't think that scene exists that way right no like it reminded me a little bit of like when i watched the movie doubt and they kind of had these long runs like that Mm -hmm. uh you know i don't know that this is how they shoot this anymore right I think the lady comes in and is like, I know it was you and has to point oh, at yeah. Rhoda. Well, there's only one of these scenes. Like, there's only a one big Mrs. Daigle scene that you get from this kind of movie. Yeah. Now, well, if getting you made her now. to come back was a crazy decision. But, but it kind of works because it's right as both of the women are completely unraveling. Right. Well, I think that's, the that's like, the most important thing. That's, like, to me, besides, like <sighs> – her knowing like it's funny to watch the movie now because like we have we have a kid and like again i thought a lot of was like what would i do if my kid just like totally showed up like i know you're lying because i think this is like a big deal like christine knows rhoda is lying the entire movie she's covering well she alludes to it when it's still sweet yeah she's a huge fucking enabler like not only like it goes beyond that like i would say like from the jump of the movie when like she knows something's up when she asks Monica for two gifts. She's like, Rhoda. Like 50 mm-hmm. times she does this. She yeah. knows that Rhoda. She doesn't fucking stop her. No, she doesn't. And that but is she a says huge, her name in a falsetto. Huge deal. Yeah, exactly. She just gets her name up in a falsetto. Rhoda. Rhoda. Quick, 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 quick. Get that money, girl. Quick, 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 quick. She knows the entire. She knows the entire story that Rhoda is bad. That Rhoda does bad things. Like, that Rhoda will do bad things in the way she covers up. She even calls her out on it. She's, like, in the middle of the movie saying, yeah, that doesn't work on me. I, 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 know, what's, I know what's going on. You can't be sweet to me because I know what's real. And, I mean, I think that, like, that's the first, that's the first mask slip for Christine is she realizes that she has to start addressing this. Because now someone, now someone else has been adversely affected. It's different when it's, like, <laughs> this is going to sound bad. It's different when it's old lowly Leroy living in the basement with his like sleeping on Excelsior, you know, which, by the way, I didn't know. Was I mean, a thing. he is human Excelsior to them. 
He is. They're like, oh, yeah, walk on him on the way out so you don't get dirt on your fucking tap dancing shoes. Like, oh, fuck my Leroy. God, dude. That scene where he fucking sprays her shoes and Monica just tries to admonish, like, ah, you, my brother has kept you on. I'm like, good Lord. Shut up, lady. Shut <laughs> your just fucking goes mouth. On him. Like, he is actually. She talks to him the way that I talk to pieces of dog shit that are left in my yard, not by my dog. Yes. Like, that kind of disdain and anger. That this has, like, been foisted upon It's me. just, like, it's un, it's untethered aristocratic brutality <laughs> for no reason other than just, like, well, I can just dump all over this old poor down who lives in my basement down there. Yeah. Like, get back in your hidey hole until it's trashed it. Psh, psh, just caning his ass. You know, I don't care that you have the mind of an eight-year-old. I'm going to insult you with my <laughs> fucking 8,000-word vocabulary. Oh, my but, uh, God, dude. It's just but no, it's let's, perfect. Let's talk about the mom, actually, because I... This is the the turn of the movie. I was telling you, I had never seen this movie before. I thought I had. Perhaps I have seen some clips because, you know, I I just am around movies all the time. I've never sat and watched this whole thing. So watching it unfold was pretty fascinating to me. Because there's a moment where, you know, she knows what the fuck the girl did. The girl confesses to murder. We know what the crescent shape is. It's her little shoes. Because that's the scene when she catches her trying to destroy the shoes. Yeah. And she drags her ass into the living room. And it's like this come to God. It's awesome. And I'll get to the girl later because the way she plays it is actually brilliant as well. Mm-hmm. The mom making the choice to not turn her daughter in is a fucking baffling decision to me. Right? Because I know what everyone will say listening is, oh, it just makes the movie more interesting and keep going. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that Fine. at all. But what I would say is we don't talk about stuff like – don't talk about, like, budgetary bullshit in this. Like, no. think about it from the character's choice. Why is the character making that choice? Why are you – tell? because she when she gives the girl the shoes back and says, throw them down the incinerator, my fucking mouth fell open. I was like, oh! I was like, this bitch – because before she didn't know, she's just like, well, I just put around here and have 18 gin and tonics a day. Like, <laughs> some things are going to slip under my radar. <laughs> and you're like, that adds up. Right. Right? But when she's confronted, and she seemingly is kind of pursuing the truth, right? Like, oh, we no. see her kind of pushing through Rhoda's bullshit. It's, it's, she pulls Rhoda into the living room in that moment. She's fighting through the bullshit. Mm-hmm. She knows after what Mrs. Daigle just showed her. She's like, oh, fuck, that's like a real human emotion. Like, I have never felt those because of my, you know, fucking uh, lily white (laughs) cloistered life and my gin and tonics. But wow, that's not cool. Did you do that to her? And then she fucking caves, man. That one that one fucking shocked me. I was gobsmacked when that happened. I think there's two factors for me in that scene, like like from a writing perspective, it's like to me part of it's part of the times it's not it's the 50s so everything needs to be pristine and perfect so like to me christine is trying to hold on to that that's the only way she can not let it slip that like she allowed this to happen on her watch as like a mother she should have seen this like i think that's a big part of it. okay you think it's not protecting the child, it's protecting herself. Oh, absolutely. I don't think it's anything. Wow, like, okay. And I'll oh, tell you yeah, why, because like Rhoda, she, again, she says it in the movie. She's like, she's a little too mature for my taste. Like, it's like the whole thing. She knows Rhoda can take care of herself. 
Rhoda can like talk. Yeah, my kid, not my favorite. <laughs> Rhoda could Rhoda could talk her way out of anything. So her thought is like, how do I preserve? How do I preserve what we have here? Because not only that, she's alone. Like she's she's alone in this apartment with her now clearly psychopathic daughter. Who and I mean like that scene where she calls her husband. She's like, when are you coming? She's like, well, not for four weeks. Just oh, what a long time. And again, Nancy Kelly is just doing her best like it's a very it's a very interesting performance but she's a rich alcoholic that's exactly what they probably sound like. right you're like you just sound like i've a- always just been a poor alcoholic so i don't know <laughs> but that's like that's the thing is she's alone she's alone so she's like how do i handle this and how do i not only am I, i'm alone but how do i handle this and not make it my husband's problem like i think there's a little bit of that going on there too mm-hmm. that's like a 1950s thing that's sort of an old world thing of like how do i handle this without making it the man's problem so to speak but more importantly <laughs> all of it is about her trying to save herself and nothing to me speaks more to that than the following scene where her father shows up and that other fucking guy uh Reginald Tasker comes in talking about and they have this Again, they basically lay out the entire plot of the movie and like how everybody knows that Rhoda is a piece of shit. They have this 15 minutes diatribe about, you know, nature versus nurture and uh, this woman who is. And again, it's a great reveal at the end there. But this woman who was examined, who had literally no remorse for what she had done, like she was incapable of it, they were saying. So in like from that succession of scenes, what you get to gather is that this is not about Rhoda's like inability to feel bad about killing Claude Daigle. What it is, is is about Christine's inability to grasp, to grasp, to grasp the fact that she is the mother of someone who has, who lacks all empathy in this world. And she's hoping to hoping against hope that maybe that's not true, but we all know that that's bullshit. Yeah, well, I think she even says, like, oh, that's for slum people. <laughs> right? like, yeah, no, they're like, oh, well, this, these people are born but in it's slums. It's so funny to watch it. Right. It's funny to watch it now because we're all so inundated totally. and indoctrinated with this true crime shows where the idea now of, you know, serial killers and psychopaths and all of these various depraved human beings, we know a lot about that, right? Right. But like even when you're watching the show Mindhunter, it's like there was a time when that shit wasn't. It's not readily available. We knew about so that's something we're that, gonna know. Yeah. Well, the thought that there is just a person born who is truly a bad seed and can behave this way, right? The right. fact that that little girl, very much like we talk about in Halloween, which is coming up in October, when they unmask Michael Myers, he just looks like the perfect little white American kid, right? Yeah. She looks like. You know, the kid that's on like a fucking uh, pastry treat box. Totally. You know, she's like this perfect little child. And the thought that this is where that that actually kind of pissed me off. I didn't love the reveal of, oh, that was my mother, the murdering bitch or whatever. Because what I thought was really cool about this movie, especially for the time. Just focus on that idea of the bad seed, not the series of bad seeds. Right. The idea that this girl literally is committed two murders for a snow globe and a penmanship award right i thought that was great because the thing they do with her that i love right the thing they do with a rhoda in this movie is she is smarter than other kids it seems but one thing these evil kids movies veer into is that they're like masterminds right they're so much smarter than all of us and we're just rube adults right that's how they get by 
this girl isn't really smarter than us. She's not really fooling anyone. She's actually a pretty bad actress for the most part. It's just these people want to buy it, right? right? She's giving them what they want. That's not – she's not some super genius. This isn't some full-on maniacal master plan. She's just – because that's what I love. When she finally reveals, like, I just hit him because he wouldn't give me the medal. And then he gave me the medal, and I, I hit him again. That moment is like, oh, fuck. She is still just a child. That's child brain. Give me what I want or I'll hit you. Right. Psycho brain is – I got it, and I hit him again. Right. And then I wanted him to shut up, so I hit him some more. Right? So it's rooted in this childish place that a lot of these movies skip over for this cold, you know, like Terminator robot. And what it does is it really fucks it. it it's really like a fucking great insertion into this world, which is this should be all perfect. You guys beat the system. You got the money. You know, you got the gin and tonic tray. You're all good. Like, you did it. Uh, you know, you got a Leroy to take your trash out, you lazy bastards, even though you have a trash shoot in your fucking kitchen. So you, you did it. But then what if nature just says this girl's going to kill over nothing and she doesn't care about it? She doesn't see it. Right. Right. That maybe the end game evolutionarily, you know, the, the trick of genetic luck is you guys so look down on everyone else. What if that's just her genetic predisposition? You know that the randomness and the pettiness of the kills in this movie I fucking love that. And when they add the genetics, I'm like, ah, that kind of takes the piss out of it a hair. I mean, a hair. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the strongest thing. Again, it's the concept of the bad seed. The bad seed is it's inherited genetics. It's the idea. It's skipped over. You know, it's one of those things where I think that's why the movie is less about Rhoda. Like Rhoda's just like the Rhoda's the fuel for the fire, you know, but the movie's really about Christine coming to grips with the fact that she is yeah. the bearer of this bad fruit so to speak. And Rhoda, Rhoda's the icing, right? She's the really fun thing to watch. She does all the troublemaking. But Christine is who you have to, like, ice. Like, that's the one you've got to be down with. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's like... I mean, the nuts and bolts of the movie comes down to Christine addressing this... Addressing the history she has, but also having to address the fact that she's... Everyone in this movie is an enabler. Like, I think that's the thing that's the most, like, shocking and kind of, like interesting to me is like the bad seed yes like okay cool so she comes from i don't know soured grapes so to speak all this kind of thing but really when you look at the movie yes like that's one explanation but for me it's always like this red herring in the movie in general like it's just supposed to be the solemn moment between mother uh between father and daughter between christine and her dad because he finally confesses the whole sh the whole spiel to me, though, the bad seed is much more about us allowing this to happen. Like, we see this kid and we allow this child to kind of like – so because I don't think Rhoda's a criminal mastermind, but she is smarter than everybody else because she knows how to manipulate. Like, I don't think it's about being a criminal mastermind. It's about being able to manipulate everyone into thinking you're doing okay. Like, she, above all else, is – a manipulator of the highest order. And that is like truly and honestly the thing that gets her by. So to me, that's the scarier thing is like when, when you finish watching this movie, you look, I look like today, my kid was just screaming his ass off because he wouldn't, I wouldn't give him his toothbrush. 
And then eventually I gave him his toothbrush. I'm like, is he just manipulating me? And I'm just turning him into a little spoiled shit yeah. simply because That's I don't want to do survival technique. Though. Right. Well, <laughs> he's he's one. It's different. But like when you're older, well, you and- know, it is funny, though. You watch the movie and you're like, everyone in this movie is manipulating all the time. And she's just left alone with the likes of Leroy. So you're like, she kind of needs some yeah, things. She, I mean, and again, like we're just looking at this from a planet Earth style. Like right. she's got to have some venom. Sure, it's well, a dangerous environment. Well, Leroy is certainly not a, a good play, good a good person to play with for sure. And she treats him again. It's about there's a hierarchy to this. It's just fascinating, and I think more than anything, the bad seed is about the learned behavior we pass to our kids. Like if you're going to treat Leroy like shit in front of Rhoda, she's just going to treat him like shit too. Like if she feels she's above someone and therefore sees that in other people. Like, if she feels she's above Leroy and she decides that she sees that spark of Leroy in other people, she's going to assume she's above them. So to just explain it away, like you said, like explain it away with like genetics is like kind of this like weird 50s thing almost. I don't know. It's 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 much less psychological well, than I think. I, I, I think that is a function of, again, I don't think people fully understood that these exactly. broken people I mean, exist. Having to so explain that, is that a, in that way. Oh, okay, I can understand. Exactly. For some reason, that extra layer that to us just seems unnecessary and clunky may, might have added something. To me, it is, it's weird because you say it is a lot about this, they live this aristocratic life and they show how little they respect Leroy and treat people like shit. It's also, but that's the thing. It's not about learned behavior. A lot of the movie is, and that's the weird part. I wish the mother had been a better mom, right? Sure. Like maybe not so gin and tonicy, and maybe like you know actually playing tea set with her daughter. Yeah. Well, because then though, what if you did had all the advantages and put the work in and did everything right, and your daughter still fucking killed an old lady for a snow globe? Right. I mean, at that point, I think you probably would have. That is nature, right? Right. It's the it's the classic like you can build the thickest wall to protect yourself from armies, but given enough time, nature's going to bring that fucking wall down. Right. You know, and that's that's what Rhoda is in this movie. She's the fucking weed in the garden. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the main that's a big part of this in general. Like I, I think that moving into like the la- later half of the movie, like in the in the realm of logic, let's say, in this movie. If Christine was a good mother and paid attention to the fact that her daughter was slowly becoming an inhuman monster, and finally she was like, hey, that lady got fucking <laughs> that lady got fucking yacked over a snow globe, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to do exactly what I ended up doing in this movie anyways, which is give my daughter a bunch of sleeping pills and blow my own brains out. Like, that to me... That to me is that to me is like she's finally fessed up to it in the movie, but she should have done that a long time ago. Yeah. Well, to be fair, the old lady feels like an accident and that kid would have been five or six. The thought of a five or six year old taking someone out seems far fetched. You're like, ah, they're old ladies. They fall down all the time. That's why they get those buttons. Ah, I fall and I can't get up. Ah, my snow globe. Right. Like that's the 50s version of that commercial, the little life alert or whatever. (laughs) So you're like, that all adds up, right? Because right. that's what I thought. I was like, fuck, like this girl snapped at eight fucking years old. She's going to kill this fucking kid over this thing. Like, that's a hardcore murder response. When they reveal, oh, she's done this once before. It was a little easier, a little meh. This one's hard because now she has to cover her tracks. Right. Um, The scene to me that gets it, right? Because we see Christine go back into liar mode. 
trying to get her father and, uh, you know, the other writer to give her a pass, right, to say that what she's doing is okay. Right. The scene that is probably the best scene in the movie, in my estimation, is when you uh, start to hear Leroy screaming, right? Oh, yeah. In the, the you see these guys hitting the shovel, ah, trying to free him. And you hear this great audio of him, like, stumbling out into the courtyard, screaming, ah, help me. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a fucking close on Christine. Just fucking taking in the whore. Because she knows. Of what she, because this time she is not, you know, a secondary accomplice because of her Oh, she ovaries. fucking saw it. This one, she specifically axed him. She is directly responsible for Leroy's pain and suffering. And you see something like that, again, even from her fucking tall fortress, right. to watch that break her and to see her little devil come in and just bink, 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 playing music and being like, what's up? Why are you being such a bitch? <laughs> I want an ice cream. <laughs> You're like, now it's all crushing down upon her. And I believe this was also right after Mrs. Deekler came back with another, you know, drunken fucking one lady show. Yeah. So you're like, Jesus Christ, like this series, you see Christine all the fucking way break. Right. And that to me was the best scene in the movie. They do it two or three other times with her where they'll put uh, Rhoda in the foreground. It's like an over the shot at her face where it's a little soft and shadowy. Yeah. And she kind of does this look at her daughter like, what the fuck are you? Yeah. But that is the moment where it is crystal clear, burning resolution. Oh, fuck. This kid is the worst. Right. And then you get. My argument would be is the next scene when they do the suicide, uh, murder, suicide. Yeah. Shoot your daughter. Take the sleeping pills. Well, that's the. Yeah, that's the <laughs> only move. one of you has killed three people. I mean, as far and as one of you is accomplished one. I mean, so, as far as murder, suicide, that's definitely the move. Uh, but, you know, right. Well, she does have that very cool moment where she's like, you know, my daughter, my love, my only baby. Um, I love you and I will protect you. We'll both sleep. Like, so there's still this layer of. She's saying how much she loves her kid. We see very little evidence in the movie that she actually likes this kid at all. Like almost none. She's uh, just an no accessory moment, I would say. Yeah, like she seemingly has worked your father and her mom's just like, all right, you little dick, get off my kid. <laughs> you know, like get off your dad. You know, stop being a bitch. Go play tea in the backyard without me right. uh, with the definite sex offender that lives in the basement. <laughs> Go out there because I'm a good mom. Yes. So, yes, those are all. Hey, things make that mama gin and tonic so I can tolerate you. Absolutely. <laughs> all things. All true. But, but in that moment, I think there is a weird maybe it's like you said, she doesn't actually love her kid, but she maybe she's saying goodbye to her perfect life. Right. You know, like her her uh, Garden of Eden, as it were. Right. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, she's she knows it's over. She knows that no matter what, Rhoda will never have a normal life. Because not yeah. only that, Christine knows. Imagine being a mother yeah. of someone and you just know she's a fucking you know she's just poisoned. She's taint she's tainted human being. She gonna so, murder. She gonna yeah, murder for Like sure. so she's doing what she can rationalize is like a good thing. Even though it's not. You should never kill kids ever, <laughs> even if they're fucking, even if they're fucking psychopathic murderers themselves. But like at the same time, it's just a Are fascinating. Are sure about that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'll let, I'll let I'll let you know in five years when if this kid ends up being a fucking murderer, I'll have to talk to him. I mean, it would depend. If my kid killed Leroy, I'd be like, 
that's self-defense. Uh, Leroy was definitely going to wear you as a hat someday. You know, but the other kid, I'd be like, that's not cool. That's yeah. not, you know, that'd be my line. I mean, I think. Would you turn your kid in? Me and Amy uh, have had this talk before. Yeah, I'd turn him in. I was like, oh, yeah, a thousand percent. Like, I'm turning yeah, 100%, him in. Yeah, 100 percent. Absolutely. But like, you have brought shame to the family. You're but out. again, I, I really think it's a it's a product of the time. It's a product of we cannot rock the boat because this is the, this is the American dream right here, man. If we leave this, they're going to take like, away all of our. Yeah, we'll take away. Well, that's all her of hospital line because she lives right. And she's like, I know I still must pay for this sin. Right. Right. And I just want you to forgive me. Kind of telling him like, hey, man, our uh, our ride is over. Yeah. We're going to go live in Leroy land now. We're done. Like right. we we done fucked up. I wanted to get your take on the very ending. I know this is one of your favorite moments, but um, the very the ending has a, a, a somewhat creepy supernatural vibe, right? And I'm not talking yeah. about just now we see Rhoda's ready to start committing murders like days apart. Like, oh, I want a lovebird. I'm going to throw that fucking uh, Angela Lansbury want to be off the roof. Yeah, she we're totally not even talking gonna, about that. She's totally going to murder Monica. Like she brings it up and then you're just like, oh, that's going to happen for sure. A thousand percent going to bring it up. But it has this very scary supernatural twinge to the end. Yeah, I think so, too. Which is God is like, you don't get to blow your brains out. You have to come back and suffer and lose everything. Yeah. For being such a piece of shit. And then whether it was the boy or God or Leroy who smite Rhoda at the dock, which is just one of the. It's I can't. I it's can't an explosion with a fucking dummy like floating. It's pretty awesome, but it also feels like um, perhaps God should have thrown that lightning bolt. I don't know. After the five year old took out the old lady, he's like three murders. I got to see three. I got to know fours in the book. Hey, hey, hey. I'm the- capping this now. <laughs> right. But then I was like, maybe it's the fact that she went back because that was one of the cool things they added her collecting trophies. Yeah, they play it as just a kid who wants something, right? You're like, no kid gives a fuck about that stupid fucking medal. She right. can't wear it anywhere. That is a very specific serial killer behavior that they were fucking onto. I think before that's, we knew about all that, that's really th- cool. But I think that's exactly what it is. It's it's God almost like saying, because of desecrating the gr- desecrating yeah. the grave, you have to get smoked. It's kind of like in a what is he it? Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. I'm going to go destroy Jason. Oh, now he's a lightning bolt and he's back killing me again. I mean, you just can't be greedy. I think that's the that's the moral of Rhoda's story. It's like if you're going to kill, you know, you bet you better be you better be prepared to not three. be greedy. You get, you three. get three and that's it. <laughs> that's it. And then you get final destination. You get three freebies. But then and the, so this hilarious look, I'm sorry. It is really funny because it's just like, oh, my God. And she's gone. Like, she's not like, it's not like some dead right. body in the dock or anything. She literally has just vanished from the material world. No, they world. threw a dummy off the dock, and you can see it floating in the fucking water. Really? I always thought that was just, like, driftwood. I think that's supposed to be her in her little fucking Paddington <laughs> coat. But, uh... That's even better. <laughs> but just the idea of her storming around that town, right, during right. the storm. Like, the so, impending doom that's coming for this town. And this, But what is wild... Because, again, I would argue it's both, right? I think this is one of the top ten worst endings of a movie I've ever seen. Yes. But the supernatural element somewhat becomes fun, right? Because to it me, does. there's without Rhoda having to all the way be unmasked and have that Peter Laurie and M moment, right? Unfurled in front of her father and 
uh, the drunk mom, like without her really having to face it, it is a letdown. Yes. But knowing that she dies uh, by the electric chair in the sky, right? You're like, that's because that's the thing. It's like how much first off, I wasn't wanting to sit like another 30 minutes. No. So I get it. I think it's really bad. But the super (laughs) when you pair it with the mom. Yes. It becomes kind of an interesting. Why does the mom have to live to pay for the sins and the daughter gets smoot? I mean, well, I think because that's Christine's penance. Christine's penance is she has to live with the fact that she allowed this to happen. Like, yeah, well, maybe Christine has a chance to redeem herself. Right. It's not only that she has to live with the fact that this happened. Because but, she only cost the world one soon-to-be pedophile. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's the thing that is... that's. <laughs> but that's the important thing, is Christine has to live with the fact that she let it happen, but now she also has to... Um, she not only she has to live with the fact that it happened, but now she also has to live with the fact that she's she she can't she can't bear a child like this child this child was no good, so it's been taken away from her. I don't know. It's such a weird like yeah. But what what are your thoughts on the actual ending though? Because this is the scene that solidified this movie to you. I mean, my thought on the ending is just I, it was just it's just so like whoa. That it happens. You're like, did not see that coming at yeah. all. Like, that's a choice. Like, that was the first thing that crossed my head. Like, that's one of the choices you made. Like, I don't know how far down the list. That I mean, would it's be. one of those things. Like, if I'm writing this movie, right? Let's say the average screenwriter. So it's an aggregate of everyone who's ever written well, a screenplay. Hang on. Like, how like, far down do you have to go to get to that's my lightning bolt? Like, we've <laughs> talked about this. We've talked about this where like movies end. You're like, whoa. All right. That is the ending of this movie. Like, Again, like it's the abruptness of it. You're like, because they have that moment, and Christine talks to her husband, and yeah, like it is intercut with Rhoda going to the dock to get this penmanship medal, and it is this like sort of, it's this sort of thing. She's like, she's res- she's resolved to like do better, and I know she's like probably terrified that her daughter's gonna come and just fucking off her right there. But at the same time, this was my theory though. Do you think? the mom actually put the metal in that spot. What? Or on the dock? Did she make a deal with the devil when she was in that coma state? Right? Did she make a deal with the devil like, "Hey man, have I got a bad apple for you? You know, let me come out so I can go live the Leroy life with my military <laughs> husband." Right. You can have this bitch. I'll trick her out to the dock. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I, it also isn't determined that she actually saw it. She might have just gone looking for it. Like, but because the mom said she did that. Right. And as soon as she said it, I'm like, she didn't do that. She didn't fucking do that. But I think she's that, not into the trophies. But that's also one of those things where it's like, that's the, she's like setting her daughter up, you know? Like, oh. Well, you know, it's really weird. Mrs. When Daigle will find out unfold, she was out there looking right? for the medal and she'll catch that bitch. Well, I I mean, literally, this is the first time I've seen it. So the lightning bolt ending, again, maybe in the top 2,500 endings I would have come up with. Like, I think I would have gotten to, like, it's a body snatcher scenario before lightning bolt. But when I was watching it and she was reading the story and the girl lays down after the vitamins, you know, oh, I took my vitamins, I'm sleepy. Right. And the mom's like, I love you. You are a good child. Ah. And she does all this. When they cut to that hospital, there is a part of me that's like, oh, that last scene played like 
what Rhoda told them happened in the apartment. And she's going to be, you know, she didn't actually take her pills and she's going to just say that's what happened. Because she said something weird, which is like swallowing pills is a skill. Yeah. And I was like, oh, she's fucking this. Is, we're seeing one of her lies now. We're seeing the end of her mom through her fucking broken child psychopath lens. And then by the time we got to the lightning bolt, I'm like, I guess not. I guess now we're just fucking chucking them. Well, yeah. You know I mean, I mean? Well, <laughs> yes. Again, like there are a million and one other ways to end that movie for sure. Yeah. Like that. I'm not even saying it's wildly unsatisfying. No, like I think I that's think it's the not thing, like, good for the time. <laughs> Like, I keep going like for the time I think it's probably the most satisfying because like now if you wrote it now I don't know like there's probably like four or five like logical ways to end that movie which is like she yeah. gets caught she gets away with it and lives her life she I mean you know those are the two I can think of off the top well, the of the way my they end it now is that you think Rhoda died and then when the lady's like you still have something to live for we just do a push in on Rhoda yeah hi mommy yeah, it's like a smiling, whole right? Yeah. I'll give you a bucket of stabs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's like the logical. So now right. th this this ending is sort of one of these weird. Um, I, I don't know. For like the 50s, I'd say this ending is like the morality. It's like the morality. It, it's a real Jesus-y like you would imagine like a real church going audience would be like, ah, good. Finally. Yeah. My man in the sky smote this devil baby. It's super Jesus-y. It's definitely got that religious vibe for it. And I mean, see, that's like, see, that's what I it would is. Be, I, I'm in for more like, I want the punishment or to know that evil can never be got. Right. But the movie does kind of say like, these things will just pop up. Yeah. So I don't but, know. I did say it was one of the worst endings of all time. That might have been too harsh. It's not completely without satisfaction. I think it's uh, a, it will give you a good. When I watched, I literally went, the fuck? And I yeah. just started laughing. Right. That's exactly what happened to me the first time I saw it. It's what happened every <laughs> time I watch it. You're like, what the fuck? Like, how is this yeah. the ending? Well, this one's extra charming, too, because first off, you're still sitting there like, wait, what the fuck? Death by lightning bolt. Like, we're yeah. just not going to answer any questions. And then we cut to the, oh, wait a second, pals, like radio announcer. Now our cast. And we just see right. everyone they like, did walk like, in. They do and like this funny because you can tell this isn't play. something they do because like. The Leroy guy who walks in, and you can tell he's he walks in and goes, Leroy. And they're like, no, no talking, no sound. Walk like everyone does it differently. And then the mom comes in at the end and she's like, Where are you, scamp? And it's just like a she classic, I'm going to abuse my shit child. Out of her. Right, like I'm going to abuse my child with spanks. Like, let's all laugh at the child but then, abuse. This is but the then only... it is funny because you're like, then the audience who doesn't like the lightning bolt, you're like, at least we get to see some physical abuse. <laughs> Right, there is some sort of comeuppance for those those <laughs> chuckleheads in the back who really yeah. needed the guys watch like me are like death by lightning bolts the easy way. Out. I want to, I want mom's hand to be a nub. But then this is whipping. like the thing that I love. Like this is like the fifties of it all is the uh, added ending, which I pulled it up. Yes. I pulled up the clip. It says, "You have just seen a motion picture whose themes dare to be startlingly different," which May is probably true. Which yeah, for the time, very true. I would say like including like a murder suicide and a little girl who murders people for like trinkets, very true. Yeah. May we ask that you do not divulge the unusual climax of this story. <laughs> so so they knew yes. this was weird. They knew it was now, weird. Now do you think they're talking about the murder suicide or the lightning bolt? I think that they're talking about the I think they're talking about both. Yeah, just like the third act. Like yeah. the rest of it is a lot of talking. Don't ruin the hammer. I don't know. Yeah, that that was fun, man. I, I love seeing old stuff like that when, you know, 
movies were still kind of not as formulaic and you could, you know, just see people go in there trying stuff, man. Yeah. But what I think what I what I really like about this movie in closing is I think that the false the falseness of the reality we spend time in and everyone watching there lies slowly fall apart. Even Rhoda to a small degree. Yeah. I think it just works really well. And, and the unusual style and staging and theater performance of it all really works to this. You know, we really live these lives where we always are just trying to keep everything outside of our door and lie and lie and lie and lie. Right. And also, I the the real takeaway for me is just the, the, the non-megalomaniacal genius kid killer. Just, I, what if your kid had all of his same normal kid. I wanted it's mine, right? The Veruca Salt stuff. Yeah. But didn't have that little bit of connection to actual human emotions. It's really easy for parents to see our kids become killing machines. Yes. You're like, oh, yeah, they could be there. One little emotion gone. You're yeah. like, every kid feels feel like, like they could be this. Yeah, I feel and it's like great. every parent watches this movie and immediately after you're like, oh, fuck, have I already done this? Like, have I already fucked this kid up? And then, like, you move on. with, And then you're like, well, that kid's not getting any in any cookies tonight. Like, you're just like, that kid's on lockdown. I better get to comical spankings quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that is, like, such a weird, like, oh, look at this cute physical abuse we're, imbu- we're imbuing on this child. Teach them, We're soft teach them now. young. They used to. I mean, my parents used to get a kick out of it. Apparently, when I was <laughs> get over here, boy. <laughs> no, we used to just get the wait till your dad gets home. That was the best. You just knew it was going to be a great night in the old, the old abode. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, man. I think this is a strong and for being one of the first evil kids movies. I don't know that it's all the way the first, but it's got to be damn close. It's got to be up there. Nineteen fifty. And you definitely, to your point too. Almost all, every other movie we're covering short of probably Village of the Dam, which is a little more sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you do see the bones of all the other great evil kids movies in this movie. Yes. So, yeah, this is a classic. It is a, a landmark, and it is still wildly fun and entertaining, uh, even to this day. So that is a fucking stellar pick. Gotta love the best. Even with the lightning. Even with the lightning. I'm still sitting here. I'm like, I'm still trying to find the one thing that'll make the lightning bolt work for me. I mean, I can't find it. I can tell you from a story perspective, it's not. But I can tell you from a general movie going perspective, it's the funniest ending to a movie ever. You're doing the Robert McKee. They'll only remember a couple moments anyways. So lightning bolt. In that case, yes. Maybe this is the the prequel to a dark American Harry Potter world, right? God bless The girl who lived and it's just Voldemort's like... Ooh, not that one. Gross. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for the bad seed. Uh, but that might be over. We are just beginning the pod's evil spawn month. Yes. Uh, we'll be back with more evil kids. Please take a second, leave a rating and review for us wherever you find us. Get at us. Shout us out on your social medias, please. You can email the show with ideas uh, of things you'd like to hear us talk about at filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can also watch our faces make voices on our YouTube channel, The Nerd Alchemist. Uh, for The Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Shout out, Donna. Thanks for the pick. 